This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. There are so many choices when it comes to selecting the right financial institution. Start with the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. We're right here in your city. We're also the official credit union of Temple University, and anyone who lives, works, worships, and studies in Philadelphia can open an account. We're member-owned and offer all the services you're looking for, like mobile banking and free ATM withdrawals. Visit our website at pfcu.com. We're not here for our profit, here for yours. Federally insured by NCUA. Now on Talk Radio Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is a special edition of The Labor Show with J. Doc, Krause, and John Doherty. And hour number two of The Labor Show. This is the John Doherty Hour. Welcome in, everyone. Glad you were with us for hour number one. And we've got a great conversation uh, lined up, J-Doc, in hour number two. A spirited conversation uh, kicking off uh, hour number one of The Labor Show. Absolutely. And, and, and I'll tell you, I'd like to carry over a little bit of that conversation uh, with John Doherty uh, because there's... Uh, Nobody, obviously, that has developed their scope of work more than uh, IBEW Local 98. And, John, I don't know if you got a chance to hear uh, the the conversation with Workers United and Lynn Fox and the team, but um, we talked about the Starbucks organizing campaign, and really it's historic and what they're doing is incredible. Um, I'd like to get your opinion on, on organizing from a building trade standpoint. And, you know, you guys have done a phenomenal job expanding your scope of work you know over you know since your time you know at the helm at 98 talk about that well lynn fox and their whole environment is something that's been an open game for years and they're one of the few people that went after it and uh, you know i'm a big fan of lynn and i was a good fan of her and friend of her dad who was also a legendary and i mean a legendary labor labor leader but uh yeah look i think we've talked about go puffs you know, I, I was going to take a shot at that at Local 98 if, if some of the other unions that were more suitable for their members, you know, did not take a shot because, you know, GoPuff came into town, pulled up at the old Finnegan's Wake, you know, told us we'd have a shot to do the work there, and, and they said no at the end. And then we realized they were using a contractor that wasn't paying benefits or at least anything close to benefits that our people are accustomed to getting. And uh, so we were very, very interested and going for that, then, then I, you know, I got caught in the retirement shuffle there, and you know, it's still on the open end up at Local 98. But yeah, I'm a gigantic organizing man. I believe that there's, you know, and I, a lot of people organize or attempt to organize, okay, just to put a hold on a company or or to hold up on a specific job. When I organized, I organized to try to get the talent people that worked inside the company. You know, and, and that was a little different because if you remember way back in the 90s and, and, and the, op, the iron workers were, and the roofers were two of the people who partnered up with me way back then about, uh, and I started the basically the salting program in this region. And the salting program was people would go to work for people who needed people, primarily non-union or non-signatory. And we wanted to see how they could continually get work at such a low number. And we found out they were breaking the rules. 
you know, and then a lot of people, in fact, I had a meeting back in 93, 94, you know, that only got like nine people outside the staff at Local 98. The following year, I had to move it to the sheet metal workers, and I had people from, I, I mentioned it last week, I had the guy who was my partner in laying out the, the actual, you know, demographics of it was a professor at Cornell. So we took a look at labor law. We took a look at, you know, the, the skill sets that people had that were working for no benefits. And we went after them and we did really well with it. And uh, it became a way. But it also became a way to, you know, if you really were short-sighted, you could really hurt the company uh, and you could really tie them up and even put them out of business. That was never, you know, my objective. In fact, early on, when I can rattle off maybe 10 or 12 electrical companies that were big non-union companies that are now some of the more successful ones at Local 98 that came in during this era and through this procedure. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of organizing. There's a lot of tools out there today. The NLRB has finally taken a turn for the good. You know, you have an administration that, you know, seems to be, you know, way more protective, you know, of people's ability to organize. And, uh, you know, it, it's a way of the future. And I think everybody should have representation. I think everybody should have health care. Everybody should have pension. Okay. And everybody should have people, you know, 724s. You know, my good friend Joe Lashdale says that, you know, labor leaders today, if you're not out three nights a week, have your phone on the other two and work on Saturday, you can't compete in this world. Now, I don't necessarily, you know, agree that you have to be in an office, you know, but I think that, you know, this world is changing so quick. Nobody's nine to five. There's a ton of people out there working and they all want some sort of competitive world to live in and unions are great for them. And I think that, you know, everybody should have an organizer on staff. Everybody should have an organizing department. It's the easiest way to grow your union and it's the easiest way to, to, to maintain market share. John, I think it's also an asset for the companies to have union workers. And I don't know why companies are so resistant to it. Well, it's the finances. I mean, yeah, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and John just just used the example of electrical companies who at first were non-union and then became union, and now they're the some of the most successful. Right. So, so that argument really doesn't hold water when you look at the big picture of it. I mean, and, and John, Joe, I absolutely agree with you, but that's their first thought off the bat. They don't realize that, you know, you get a, a, a quality union worker, okay? The difference also, there's a million differences, okay? But let's look at the workforce itself, okay? You have a non-union construction company, okay? Say so it's an iron working company or an electrician, electrical company. One of those individuals, you get one of your key cogs in that, in, in, on, that, uh, on that team who gets injured you just or, or, or gets sick. You can't just call the hall and get somebody. You're crippled with a union, a well-trained union workforce. And, John, you, obviously, you know, you, you, you can, uh, you know, you know, lay testament to this. But, you know, you, you, you have a plethora of trained guys and women that you can call at any time. You'll never be crippled. You'll always have that, that quality workforce. There's a million things, okay? But, but, but just that right there. And, of course, a safer job, uh, getting it done on time. Talk, you know, John, you know, you could rattle off that list like there's no tomorrow. Well, I can, and we don't have enough time to, but I will give you the follow-up with both of your comments. 
yes, why would you not sign an agreement? Well, the companies I mentioned, they were in prior to May. They were doing work in locations like the Philadelphia Public School System, Veterans Stadium, all the city entities like the Waterworks, et cetera. And so I said, okay, most of them had posted wages and things like that. So they were people I went completely after. When you go after, okay, people, for example, that are doing, you know, the wild wilds and small houses, it's a different, it's a different uh, animal and it's a different process. Now, things what I did was that the bigger guys who were doing, you know, the schools, and, and by the way, prior to myself, we had, we had 30 public schools that went out and we only had one that had a union bid on it. So guys who understand the industry understand that we were just so far out of touch okay, with that industry, that we allowed it to become a very, very uh, efficient non-union workplace. But what I did is when I started to go after everybody, is that, for example, if I went after a small contractor and I said, okay, I need you to come into Local 98, I would say, okay, here's a two-year contract. Okay, the first, the, the first year, everything that you have in the, the pipeline, you just finish the way you did it. Okay, the second year, anything that you bid in the first year while you were trying to become a union contractor, I'm going to allow that to be completed in some sort of an arrangement between the union and your non-union staff. And then the third year, it would be, you know, 100% local 98. Now, you know, I had a little confidence that the staff I had around me was going to be around for a while, you know, and the organizing department that we had put together you know, which, you know, at the time, Timmy Brown had uh, a significant role, but I had a tremendous amount of people from Ed Coppinger to Chris Owens. And, you know, I can go on and on people who were basically in the organizing world who actually it was a change of philosophy and we changed with it. But but it, it, I can see, you know, in today's environment, you know, uh, I always tell you, you know, it's union, non-union, then non-human. Yep. And there's too much non-human out there. There's too much day workers. There's too many people not working. And, and, and I, you know, I'll wrap up with this. Even some of our significant players, I think the conversation was either myself and Bart Blassie or somebody, and they said, people take my call, but when they know, you know, I'm calling them, they know that on $100 million, it's going to cost them $40 million. So they laugh. They said every time John calls, it costs somebody $40 million. So think about that. And, you know, you know, getting away from the little sense of humor or, or the dose of not reality, okay, when you think about that, that probably, Joe, okay, is exactly the price of benefits and the percentage of taxes that people hide. Yep. So, so what, what I say is that, you know, if you put our benefit packages and you put the full amount of taxes that our contractors always pay on $100 million, Okay, it's probably 40 million of it. I know they're big numbers, but that's the environment we play in. And don't think Starbucks. You know, you take them one star at a time. Okay, but when you, when you look at, you total up them 10, 15, 18, 20 stores, they're, they're multi-million dollar operations, and they can pay their people well. The John Doherty Hour here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Good show uh, lined up for you. We always have a good show on the John Doherty Hour. We're going to get to a commercial break. On the other side of the break, Naomi Post, child advocate with a big history, uh, is going to join us. She'll kick us off on the John Doherty Hour. Back in a moment. 
Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by IBEW Local 98 North, UFCW Local 1776, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, and the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, DC 21. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll veto it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. And welcome back, everyone, to the John Doherty Hour. We're live here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, hour number two here on a Saturday night. Jay Doc, uh, good conversation in hour number one and a good conversation uh, kicking off the show uh, with John here in hour number two. We're going to switch gears a little bit. The conversation is going to stay at a high level. Uh, we're going to transition and switch gears on a serious topic um, uh, coming up uh, in uh, for the remaining three segments. Naomi Post. We're going to bring her into uh, the conversation uh, a little bit later, uh, 7.35. Sylvester Johnson uh, will join us as well, and then Senator uh, Jimmy Dillon will finish us up. So we got a good show lined up. Yeah, and one of the things the I John love John Doherty Hour. One of the things I love about the John Doherty Hour is we, we talk about uh, not only labor, but also the, uh, the social issues, the community uh, issues, and, and we're ecstatic to have Naomi Post on the program. I was the former executive director of the Children's Defense Fund, and uh, Safe and Sound, the head of Safe and Sound. Uh, Naomi, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you for having me. It, it, it's our pleasure, and, and it's a timely conversation. Uh, first of all, obviously, congrats on your well-earned retirement, and, and uh, you know, you've had a, a stellar career, and, and you've made a difference in a lot of lives, and today, more than ever, with what's going on um, in the city, and, and, you know, every weekend we, we, we read it, and we're losing our youth, um, what uh, take us back to the to, to the beginning? What 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 motivated you to want to work in the child advocacy field um, to start off with? Well, you know, it, it probably started early in my childhood. I mean, they always say that your parents are your first teachers, and you know, I grew up in a family that had extremely limited resources, but my parents set an example of service that had a tremendous influence. My father, before he passed away, you know, was a volunteer coach for the boys' basketball team, even though he had all girls, or maybe because he had all girls. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, after he passed away, I mean, my mother continued the, the uh, tradition. I mean, she not only had to work and raise four kids as a single mom, but she you know, opened up her doors to children who were homeless. She created a lending library on our porch for kids whose families didn't have as much resource so they could come and borrow books. And, you know, that inspiration um, led me to conclude very early that I that I wanted to serve people who were less fortunate. And I always gravitated toward children. And my career has been dedicated to helping children in different kinds of programs and advocacy. John Doherty? Yeah, listen, this is uh, uh, an honor for me because my whole family are gigantic fans of Naomi. Naomi started out in, in the court system, and she worked with my dad. And my dad told me, John, she's the smartest advocate I've ever bumped into. Then you fast forward to my brother, Kevin, who spent a better part of his life, you know, in family court. And again, gigantic fan. Then you take a look at and uh, you take a look at my daughter, Erin, who is who. You know, and Naomi, you appreciate this. She just 
you know, single-handedly went out and took the old United Way building and uh, and put a charter school there. And, I mean, most of the people in her school are kids of color or, or, or severely poor. And now they're going to be looking out their window right down the, the parkway at the art museum. So I know that would that would tickle your heart. And uh, <laughs> and she just she's she's just, a, you know, she and she followed out and uh, behind some of the footsteps that Naomi, Naomi had, and also was just a personal friend and uh, of Seely and was always there for Seely during her early trials and tribulations. And she's still hanging in and fighting. And and I know Naomi would want that. But what, what she did was safe and sound. OK, in the city was no one has touched that since. You know, and one of the things I wanted to ask her, and I was really excited about having her on on the air, is that right now people count on unions and the economics of unions to help. In today's world, there's just not enough money to go around. How Naomi can, well, one, I wanted to say hi, and two, I just wanted to let you know, come on, I want to pick your brain here publicly on this radio show, which, by the way, it might sound quirky, this little radio show, but on the Nielsen ratings, we're right up at the top. So people actually care about what Naomi Post says when she calls into the show. Okay, people show up. and So tell me how unions and your safe and sound, you know, template can somehow partner up to help people. Because we have resources, we have people, we just don't have Naomi Post around anymore to ask us to help. How, what can we do on our own? How can you help us? What can we do? Like I said, we have money and people. You know, how can we help? Well, well, let me start first by saying it's really, really good to hear your voice. Um, wish I could see your face. And please give your wife, you know, my love and prayers. And Erin rocks. <laughs> you know, um, she, she really does. And, you know, to think about this question, we could go back to the Safe and Sound days because Safe and Sound um, did a lot of work. Uh, generating data, report cards, uh, trying to stimulate ideas about effective ways to to serve kids. And you were a major partner in a lot of that, John. I mean, you're the one that had the inspiration to look at the fact that you wanted to diversify the union and you wanted to create this career pathway for kids of color um, to be competitive and to be able to, to enter the union. And that at that time was just an historic investment by the union. Um, when you think about it, you know, one of the challenges we were experiencing as a city back then was the rate of sudden infant death syndrome. And that was caused by the fact that some families um, didn't have the resources, you know, to purchase cribs. Um, and they were sleeping with their newborn infant children. And you were the one who started the campaign and leveraged, you know, your personal and, and political capital to obtain cribs to distribute to low-income families. You know, and it's that kind of partnership, you know, looking for an organization um, that's struggling to meet the needs of kids and partnering with the union to creatively um, have this nonprofit union and sometimes municipal partnership to address issues that are really affecting our kids in such a negative way. And you've been a leader in that. And I would hope that the union, I know the union will continue. I mean, I've been out of, out of town for a couple of years and I'm sure you're still doing great things for kids like the after school programs and everything else that, you know, local 98 has been dedicated to. Well, that's a great picture. I still have that picture of you and I and all them cribs. 
It was a, I think it was a chilly day too, if I'm not mistaken, you know, but we had a ton of cribs and we put them together quickly and I didn't forget about it, but I just don't think about it that often. And, but, but that's what I'm saying. You know, it's just like, we have a lot of good people, you know, like Albie Martinez and people like that, but they're just not as many, how can I put it? You know, every day in our face, like you were, you know, and look, you, you know, it, you, you, you had a, you had a, a way about you. Besides being super smart and always the smartest person in the room, you know, you, you had a way of getting people to say yes. That's why you've been super successful. You know, uh, how can we, what, where, where can, who's out there? How can we start this? Who's, who's out there that can help? Now, I said, look, you know, I'm retired now, but I'm still on the outer edges. You know, when I do things like this radio show to challenge people, you know, to reach in their pocket and maybe take a Saturday a month and help somebody less fortunate. Okay, how can we get somebody? We've got a, a ton of young labor leaders, okay? And, and, again, you know, some are in overload, you know, and some, you know, haven't figured out what they want to do yet, okay, because they're so young and so successful. But you, and like, I mean, we would love to have, you know, Naomi, you know, teach 20 people what to do someday, you know, and I know you're retired and, you know, but uh, we would love to pick your brain, you know, and put five or six people in a room that actually get things done and say, how can we do this again? Because little things like them cribs, you know, little things like, you know, the statistics of where we should be paying attention, little things of what school to go to, you know, so we could find out, you know, how many kids we could actually take care of. You know, uh, I mean, they were big, and uh, you were you were responsible for most of it. You know, well, the little things the little things do add up, and I'd love to sit in a room um, and uh, brainstorm with some people. I wouldn't say I'm the smartest person in the room. When I look at the accomplishments, it's because of people like you. And back then, we had some really really innovative people in the city. I mean, Estelle Richmond was the managing director. I don't know if you remember John Donzowski was the commissioner of health. He did all of that work on, you know, eradicating um, uh, lead poisoning. And now we've got a problem with that again. We had Vic Richards over in the recreation department. And we had Sylvester Johnson, who was amazing, who, who understood we can't arrest our way out of this. And he understood he had to work with the private sector, with the nonprofits, with the youth programs, with the school district, you know, in order to address some of the issues we were struggling with then, which have become worse in this current economic environment. So there's a couple of things. I mean, one, I would say on an individual basis, um, even if it's not in an organized fashion, everybody can make a difference. Everyone, it can be as simple as mentoring a child or being a role model. I was talking to my nephew the other day and he sent me a picture of his front lawn and there must've been 15 bicycles on it. And he said that, he had decided he wanted to open his home to the neighborhood children so that they would not be hanging out in the streets. I mean, these are, these are things that we can do. You know, you may be surprised to learn, like with nonprofit organizations like Safe and Sound or, um, you know, other ones that are serving children, it's not always the big foundation grant. What, what is their lifeblood is a $25 donation that's given annually by somebody. I mean, that is an important commitment if you find a nonprofit in your neighborhood that's serving children and you can, you know, make a commitment to give them $10, $20, $25 a year. That makes a huge difference in their ability 
you know, to provide services because it's not just you, but you're telling your friends and other people as well. Um, and, and here's a thing that, that I think the unions have been helpful with in the past and can continue to do. You wield enormous influence over elected officials and people running for office. And you may or may not recall back in the safe and sound days, a uh, guy by the name of Frank Keel, who you might know. Um, we do did, know him, uh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he did a campaign for Safe and Sound called What About the Kids? And it really was to convince people who influence elected officials or people running for office to ask that question, what are you going to do about these problems? And our kids now are suffering more than ever. I mean, the, the poverty rate for children in the past couple of years has gone from 12% to 17%. But in Philadelphia, it's more than 30%. So one in every three children happens to be living in poverty. Gun violence is out of control. I think it was in 2020, more kids died under the age of 17, died from gun violence than from vehicle crashes. That That's a historic thing. You know, these, these children, you know, they need programs. Um, they need mental health services. You know, you may have heard they just announced that hotline for suicide 988. Mm-hmm. But our kids, especially with this pandemic and the isolation, you know, they have faced and all of the stress with violence, you know, they have emotional and mental health problems that are going unaddressed. Um, How about 15th so- and Market? 15th and Market yesterday, we had a 14-year-old kid whip out a gun and shoot somebody in the chest three times. Yep. You know, you know right, it, right, at, it, right at 15th and Market. It's crazy. That's actually yeah, it, scary it, crazy. It's scary crazy. Um, and one of the things we need to think about, and this affects not just low-income children. This affects everyone. Sure. Every family, regardless of, of economic status. You know, it starts when children are young. And in Philadelphia and in the state of Pennsylvania, we don't have enough child care for, for low-income families, for middle-income families. Everyone is struggling. Everyone's on a waiting list. It's, it's cost prohibitive. And we have to make early childhood development and child care available. And that's where it starts. It doesn't start when they're 14, 15, 16, running around in the street. You know, it starts with supporting them, you know, from birth through high school. Where would you, yep. if you thought we could make a difference real quick, where could, where should we start at? Well, where I would start if I were you is we've, we've got some, uh, <laughs> we've got some interesting elections coming up. Um, and thinking about, you know, pressing candidates to uh, articulate clearly what they're going to do about adequate mental health services? What are they going to do about child care resources? What are they going to do about improving public education? Um, and what are they going to do about getting guns off of the street, illegal guns? You know, what it, they, can, they can skate around these issues, but if they have people who they know have tremendous influence, then they're going to be thinking about those issues. And I think you can do that. The other thing that you can do um, is you can have these conversations, you know, not with Naomi Post, who's retired, 
<laughs> you know, but you oh, you're could, be, by the way, you're being recruited back. So we're just just so you know what the point of this show is. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but but gathering some some influential people, I would love to see a blend of the current uh, municipal commissioners with some of the really, really innovative ones like John Domzowski and folks who are still around who can talk to them about how to use data and how to use research to target their limited resources in a more effective kind of way and how to partner with, you know, unions and, and the public sector to address these issues. I mean, not, not the government alone cannot resolve them. It really has to be a partnership. So bring it, you know, you, you have the cachet uh, to bring people together and, and maybe that's where it starts. Naomi, we're going to have to run on you. I'm going to have to give up my last three minutes of my personal time to get Senator Dillon in because we got Sylvester right on the heels. And I want to let you know, Krause's having a heart attack right now. It was good to talking to you. Let's continue the conversation. And thank you for you know allowing me to spend some time with you. Yeah, we love you and miss you. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Really good stuff from Naomi Post joining us here on the John Doherty Hour. We'll take a commercial break. On the other side, Sylvester Johnson back in a moment. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. This edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, Steam Fitters Local 420, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 542. Back here on the John Doherty Hour, live here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Really good segment from uh, Naomi Post. I'm so sorry that um, we kind of ran out of time. I did uh, learn another powerful thing about John Doherty listening to Naomi Post. I was not aware or never learned about the cribs and all of those efforts. And How many things uh, don't we know, uh, right? Another Great example things. of the lives that uh, John Doherty has changed, but really good stuff from Naomi Post. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it was, men- it was interesting because Naomi mentioned our next guest, uh, former Philadelphia Police Commissioner Sylvester Johnson, who, uh, this is his second time on the broadcast. We're ecstatic to have him on. Commissioner, welcome to the broadcast. To be on, thank you. It, it, it's great to have you. And, and uh, uh, before we bring John in, into the conversation, um, you know, you know, you, you see what's going on in Philadelphia and and, and, and so many of our big cities uh, with the gun violence, and it, it, it's out of control. Have, have have you ever seen anything quite like what we're going through today? No, I haven't seen it in my lifetime. Is this day? You know, when I was there, I've been out fifteen years, but. I can't remember any time in Philadelphia that has been this bad. Right next, we set the a homicide record last year. Most homicides has ever been in the history of Philadelphia. So, no, I haven't seen anything like this. And 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 obviously, your tenure, you know, was a safer place, uh, a safer time and place. Um, what policies and, and practices and uh, did you and, and and the officers implement back then? Um, yeah, I think it was we Operation Safe Streets. Um, and, 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 and what do you think we should implement today that might help get us back to that time? Well, I don't really know. We had Operation Safe Streets, and we also had Operation Sunrise. And, and it was something where we communicated with the community very, very well. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems, I don't think there's really any relationship between the police department and the community anymore. But, but the other thing you got to remember, too, 
police department is almost 700 plus police officers than what I had. So, I mean, that, that has to be a major factor. But you I mean 700 less? Did you, did you say 700 less? less? Yeah, no question That's about true. it. Yeah. We had John uh, McNesby on, and he said that we're a thousand, we're, we're we're a thousand police officers down to where we should be now. So uh, yeah, no that that that's a that's a problem. Yeah, and I think it has to be a holistic type of approach. I, I know one of the things that we had, we had a police officer, the first police officer that was ever killed in the history of Philadelphia, Loretta Vere, and what we did, we named a recreation center. After her, up in near Wissahomie, in, in that area, yeah. and what what happened was that they had no lights, and the recreation center was really went down. I had called John Doherty, and they asked him could he help us, you know, with this recreation center. He not only came up and helped and had his people fix it up, he put lights out there for the kids not only play in the daytime but they could play in lights, and that's maybe that's one of the other things people don't. He contributed a whole lot to the police department, to the community. When I was police commissioner, there was nothing that I could ever ask him for that he didn't deliver. But that was one of the major things that he happened because it changed the whole neighborhood. And it, that that frustration center just putting the lights up there and never charged us a penny for it. He had us also, I mean, his people come up there and, and they did. It took them about three or four <laughs> months to do it, but they did an excellent job. John Doherty. Yeah, well, look, everybody knows I'm a gigantic fan of the commissioner because, one, not only he, he talks about, you know, uh, everybody else. You heard what Naomi said, you know, the commissioner knew that he couldn't lock his way up out of poverty. All these kids, you just couldn't send to jail. And he went everywhere. He didn't care what neighborhood it was. I ran a civic association in predominantly a white neighborhood. I had a recreation center that wasn't as diverse as it probably should have been. I had a grand opening. He was there. I had community meetings. He were there. He showed up more than once. In fact, more than once and within six months. And he was the commissioner for the whole city. And he was doing this all the time. I mean, he had great morale in the police force. I don't know a cop that didn't like him because he's a cop's cop. Okay. I don't know anybody from the union. Okay. One down that wouldn't tell you that Sylvester, I mean, half the people that had successful careers somewhere along the line tutored under him, you know, and when he showed up, okay, he won't advertise this, but he's a bad dude too. When he showed up, <laughs> you weren't being disrespectful to Sylvester. If he showed up on a, a corner, even the toughest of kids listened. And I'm going to tell you, he had that soft side too. So, and he had a soft voice and he just comes across. So I'll tell you what, it was a pleasure to have, you know, have spent a lot of time around him. I watched him, and there's a reason why, okay, kids were, were more respectful, and they respected the police, and Sylvester had a lot to do with it. And again, he had again he had a little bit more policemen, but remember, if you're in his position, giving him another 1,000 police officers also makes him work harder, and he did a great job with it. And I'm glad we get him on this, this show, and I'm glad that you know he, he still takes the time on a Saturday to pop in and, and give us a heads up. And when he says he hasn't seen anything like it, okay, Take it to the bank that this is a different time. Kamish, we were just talking to Naomi when a 14-year-old kid across the street from City Hall whips out a gun and shoots somebody, okay, in broad daylight in the middle of another mm -hmm. hundred people three times in the chest. There ain't nothing anybody can do about that. I mean, that's stone crazy mm -hmm. scary. 
Yeah, it's a lot of things that are happening, especially with these young children right now. And the gun rules that we have here in the city of Philadelphia are totally ridiculous. And say, for example, if you don't have a criminal record or a record of mental illness, not only can you buy a gun and get a gun permit, permit to carry, you can carry as many guns as you want to carry. So say you go out there and, and you have 10 guns, you buy 10 guns, and all of a sudden we find out that all 10 guns are used in homicide. And you go to this individual person and says, look, you had 10 guns, they're all using a homicide, what happened to them? They all lost them. There's no responsibility for anybody that has a gun that reported a loss of stolen gun. Now, if you have a car and your car is stolen and you don't report anything happens with that car, you're responsible for it. But anything happens with the gun you buy, you're not responsible for it. Hmm. So I tried, you know, as it goes to a committee, community meetings as I could possibly go out there to get involved with the community. Um, you know, right now, I don't think there's... Well, I don't want to criticize anybody, but at the same time, I don't think they have the relationship between the community and the police that they had before. Also, had every district captain had to adopt a school in their district. Not the best school. They get the worst school to go out there, have police officers go out there on a voluntary basis, to go out there, go to the different classrooms, talk to the kids. I tried to go to as many schools. I still go to schools now, even though I've been out 15 years. The call to the kids because one bad trick can ruin your entire life, and you got to let these children know that. Yeah, and the community. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the you know the importance of the relationship between the police and the community, um, and the benefits um, that obviously just a, a, a regular people like us, um, you would you don't even see. Talk, talk about um, that type of priority um, when when you were a commissioner and how important it is even today. Well, it's very important, especially going to the different schools. Matter of fact, I used to have our commanders sometimes on Sundays go to the mosque, go to the churches, go out there to let them know. You know, going to the school was very important, too, because there's a lot of us, especially the Afro-American commanders, we grew up in these neighborhoods. I'm going back to the city to talk to the children who are sitting in the same seat that I sat in and to let them know. And the other thing when I did, I formed a relationship with the ex-offenders. And I had them go to the schools with me because mm-hmm. a lot of times the police will go there and they'll talk, but a lot of times they're reading from the script. When you have an ex-offender goes there and he talks to the children and says, look, I was just like you. I sold drugs. I did this. But what it got me is 10 years in the penitentiary. So we had a relationship between the ex-offenders, between other people. I said, there has to be a holistic type approach. And as far as the labor, you know, with John Dobby, the things that we needed financially, all we had to do was make a phone call because I'll never stop talking about the recreation center. But at the same time, I says everybody has to be involved. The community has to be involved. The clergy has to be involved. Everybody has to be involved. The business people have to be involved. And unless we get to that point, we're never going to change this. Because when we came up with Operation Sunrise, we went to East Division. They had more drugs than any area in the entire city. And when we went in there, we were locking up everybody. I mean, there was no nonsense. And then after a month and two months, that's when I made the decision. Although our numbers were up, the quality of life was still the same, and that's when I made the statement. We would never rush the way out of this problem. It has to be more than just that. Right. And you can't have a plan. Community policing is not a program. Community policing is a mindset. It's a mindset from the top down. 
everybody has to be involved in that. We can't have the police plan if the community is not involved in the planning. It doesn't make any sense. Sylvester Johnson joining us here tonight on uh, the John Doherty Hour live here on a Saturday night. Um, uh, the former Philadelphia police commissioner. Let me get one last thought from you, uh, Sylvester. Um, you know, it was hard for me to watch uh, on both sides, but earlier this week, you know, two 14-year-old children and then two more 14-year-old children turned themselves in after beating a 72-year-old man to death. Um, and it was difficult to watch uh, from both sides, for the family of the 72-year-old and then these 14-year-old kids at 2.30 in the morning who beat this man to death? Well, I feel the exact same way that, you know, you feel, I said before. One bad choice. It takes right. you a couple of minutes to make that choice to ruin your entire life. And, you know, the family of the defendant suffers as much as the family of the deceased, which is so out there because, you know, to have his mothers or fathers bring their 14-year-old child into police custody, the idea that they might be sentenced away for 20, 25, 30 years because of the mistake that they made. And, you know, you even have lucky to lock up a little 10-year-old boy. So their whole lives are ruined. And the parents are going to suffer. The parents are going to cease to suffer. Everybody. There's, there's, there's no winners when it comes to a homicide. There's, there's no winner on either side. I just I, I got to tell you too, and I, I want to end with this for you. Look, there's when that type of tragedy rocks everybody, as you said. But the fact that when you were commissioner, and even now, okay, the fact that when you would see you at the scene, you would see you at the hospital, you would then see you also at the community, you would see you at the fundraiser, you would see you at the mosque, you would see you at the temple, you would see you at a temple basketball game, you would see you at a boxing match, you would see you at an Eagles game. You know, you could tell that you love Philly and that you were Philly. And that's something that, you know, I've always been, hey, look, we've got enough talent in this town, and there's something significant about growing up around here and being part of this. So I want to thank you. You would never know you've been retired for 15 years listening to you for the last 10 minutes. You're great. You know, and we just love having you around. And I'm going to talk to Krause and I'm going to talk to Joey and them because we'd love to get you and Naomi and a whole bunch of few six or eight other people to go to dinner with us and just maybe help us frame a future show. You know, so we're going to we're going to plan that out because we don't want to lose your talent, man. I, you're just a good guy. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's well, been an uh, honor. It's been an honor. Thanks. Well, I'm in North Carolina now. Come, I have a sister who's sick down here, so I drove down here. But I didn't want to miss this phone call. I pulled over to a rest stop so I can make this phone call. You get your phone call. So anytime you need me, I'm always available. My phone call away. Good and stuff. Just, thank you. Just think of that. He just pulled over from the, on his thank way you. to North Carolina to call us. How do you not love that guy? Absolutely. Sylvester Johnson, we thank you very much for joining us here tonight on the John Doherty Hour, live on a Saturday night. Short break on the other side, rapid fire. Senator Jimmy Dillon uh, will wrap us up on the other side back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Ironworkers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, Roofers Local 30, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. 
Welcome back here live on the John Doherty Hour. John, coming right to you. We literally have two minutes and 15 seconds left in what was a busy hour here on the John Doherty Hour. Listen, Jimmy Dillon comes from the Dillon family. Everybody remembers his dad, who was a great guy. Brother Sean, who's one of the best sport leaders in Philadelphia and just a good human being. Jimmy's the new senator in Northeast Philly. Uh, he, he was a... You talk about an activist. He, he ran a basketball camp up there. I know all my brother's kids and, and my sister's kids. They all, you know, everybody wanted to go. He was the pride and joy of the area. He played point guard at Notre Dame. And now he's the state senator. I wish we had more time. I just want the world to know that Jimmy Dillon, especially our friends up in the Northeast Philly, he's your new state senator. Comes from a great family, great guy, great pedigree. And uh, don't forget that. Let's get that him in. Man. Let's get him around. in. He's on. He's on the line. Let's get him in, Jimmy. It's rapid fire, fast and furious, man. But thanks for jumping on. No problem. Thank you, fellas, for having me. It, it, Jimmy, it, it, it's talk. Talk about your, uh, your 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 commitment to labor, brother. You got about a minute, and every, <laughs> we're gonna. By the way, we're gonna have you on plenty, plenty. So, but. Very good. So, uh, again, uh, you know, thank you for the intro. Thank you for having me. Uh, just briefly, uh, I got sworn in on, on June 7th here. Uh, I'm like a new freshman on campus once again, except I'm 43 years old right now. And, um, you know, they're, they're not paying for my entire, um, you know, scholarship up here through stuff. So, uh, you know, beginning parts of the act and stuff here is I'm, I'm all ears and, and a closed mouth right now. I'm, I'm trying to take everything in. And, and learn the tricks and the trades and, and what is what is best for the people in my community and my district and in my area. Labor being a major asset of it. Um, you know, we, we, we have working class families that the Northeast is all about. And for a lot of our families who are looking to get into trades and looking to get into the unions, um, there's no better opportunity than, than to provide opportunities that, that the trades and everybody can be provided in. And I want to make sure that everybody is well represented from the unions in the Northeast and have the opportunities that they do choose so to be a part of those trades and those unions. I want to make sure that they're, uh, you know, they have the proper opportunities. Senator Jimmy Dillon with some quick words on the John Doherty Hour. More on, behalf, on behalf of J-Doc, on behalf of John Doherty, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey.